This is a Ward Scott Files advisory. The Ward Scott Files podcast may contain material not suited for people who are easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Professor Ward Scott here in the Manly Warthog Man Cave inside the Mellon Law Studio, protected by crime prevention. 24-7, 365, and supported by all our great donors and sponsors. So patronize our, certainly patronize our sponsors. You'll see them roll by the screen. And today we've been fortunate enough to have uh, for a recent memory and on into the future in perpetuity, perhaps, huh? 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 Uh, Our our, our good friend, former U.S., I hate to use that word, former U.S. representative uh, to our congressional uh, gathering, if you will. Uh, Ted Yoho. And, you know, one of the things that's curious, curiouser and curiouser about Ted is he removed himself voluntarily from D.C. and yet he is now in D.C. yet again. And uh, he's broadcasting from a hotel room real close to where he's going to be going through some meetings. We don't dare ask what those meetings are, I guess. Uh, Yeah, he'll tell us. But uh, anyway, here's our good friend, Ted Yoho. He is really steady because when he says he'll be there, he'll be there. And he says, I'll be there no matter where I am. And by golly, he's been there in all kinds of places. He's been there from Vietnam. He's been there from D.C. That's right. He's been been there from Putnam County. And uh, we really enjoy listening to Ted. And, uh, of course, uh, I know you all do, too, from your reactions to our Wednesday shows. So Ted and I have been talking a little bit before we go on the air. We we think we're going to be okay with the upload speed of both video and audio. Uh, just bear with us. We're in a hotel room. I won't ask which one. Um, and the DC. And uh, if he wants to tell us, he can tell us. But uh, good morning, Ted. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on and putting up with me and my my uh, traveling schedule. Um, but I am up here in DC. I come up one to two times a month, and uh, you know it's 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 a good reminder to be up here. A reason to leave. I, I mean, I see security guards or Capitol Hill police. Saw a member the other day. He came up to me, and I hadn't seen him for probably a year. And he was just shaking his head. He goes, "You just wouldn't believe how bad this is up here." He goes, "It's so much worse since you've left than when you were here." He goes, "This is terrible." And you know, the the attitude for a lot of people is really bad like that. And you know, I hope it changes because the uh, Republicans do have a small minority and or majority. And uh, we hope they can get some things done. The unfortunate thing, as you know, they can pass any bill they want, and they probably will pass a lot of Republican-led bills. But uh, they'll stop and die in this Congress because uh, uh, they won't. Uh, Chuck Schumer in the Senate will not pick them up. The majority of them. Uh, it's too bad because there's there's some good bills in there. Well, you know, it's um, interesting that you see some familiar faces, and they are confide in you. Uh, and that's really probably as accurate a barometer of what's going on there as anything you could possibly do. All the polling and all the news uh, narrative and all that business, just ask the man on the street who's there. When he says it's worse, do you have an idea what he's talking about? 
the environment, you know, the working across the aisles. And that's coming off of two years of just um, the Democrat majority ramming through whatever they wanted to do. There was no bipartisanship for the most part. They said there just wasn't any. And now you're already hearing the, the attack ads coming out that Republicans are cutting Medicare and Medicaid. When in truth, uh, you know, when President Trump did some of his extra special measures because of the, the emergency, so-called emergency with the pandemic, they put money in there to shore up Medicare and Medicaid um, uh, by the tune of like $260 billion. Well, the Democrats took that money out and they're using it for other things. And so they're telling everybody that the Republicans are cutting Medicare and Medicaid. It's, it's just, uh, you know, the political lying again that, you know, just be ready. It's starting now, new Congress. So they're going to start running these things uh, uh, against the Republicans saying, oh, they're taking this away, taking that away. Well, you know, Ted, I don't know any way to push back on it except what you and I are doing. And yeah, I, I, really, I really appreciate your commitment to it because I really believe you know, we got a note in a bottle that gets off the island and maybe picked up on another island. And if we have enough notes to get off that are trustworthy, really, maybe we'll get the word out because we know the media has got a stranglehold uh, might for be, whatever it reason. Might, it might uh, be time to reach out to another planet to see if they can come rescue us. I keep thinking the UFOs will arrive. You know, one arrived in 1947 and dumped out the genetic material for the city of Gainesville commissioners. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it arrived right here by the Lake of the Stupids. Have you heard that down here in Gainesville? Uh, Lake of the Stupids. There's a Lake of the Stupids there in Gainesville. And that UFO arrived about 1947 and dumped out the genetic, uh, the genetic material for what became the current city commissioners. <laughs> might get, uh, that might be censurable. <laughs> well, then, listen, i got to take a time out. This crazy uh, city is in debt. They're... they're uh, <laughs> I don't live in Gainesville. Let's put it that way. I, you know where I live. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. in God's country in the Pine Woods. Yeah. But uh, this crazy city has had its credit rating downrated again. Oh, my goodness. And, realize, and, re, and, and at the same time has hired a climate officer who happens to be, I think, from what I can read, Chinese. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And has paid about 90 grand a year. To put Gainesville on the map, she actually said this in an interview on Channel 20, as the leader in what? Guess what? Being climate sensitive or uh, whatever the next word is, which takes me to the article that you sent me by Kevin Stockland in, in the yeah. Epoch Times. Let's talk about it for a while because I'm sure you're going to rub elbows with it in some form there in D.C. with it. You can't walk out of the hotel room without bumping into it. The climate and social justice movement. It's not just a idle chatter. It's a movement, completely, complete with financing. Um, my golly. You know, and on top of that, uh, I heard today that one of the explanations that you uh, veterinarians are giving for these whales beaching themselves. I don't know if you know this because whales wasn't your purview, but... Uh, this is your training, nevertheless, is that these um, windmills in the ocean are messing up their sonar. And they are confused as can be and are winding up beaching themselves. There's no better explanation. This is what the um, people who doctor whales and know about the ocean 
are concluding that, you know, and we only have, according to the article here, about 5% of the energy supplied by this sort of mechanism at the most. At the most. And that's the thing that you, you look at how long we've been doing that, you know, the, the solar panels, the windmills, you know, uh, other forms of uh, green energy. And it accounts for 5% of our total power usage on the planet. 5%. And then it goes on to say that it's actually, it's probably about 3% because it's not 100% of the time producing energy. And, um, you know, the disruption to society, all in the name of Al Gore's um, climate crisis, you know, it was global warming, then it was global uh, climate change. And now it's, they're moving away from the word climate change to, um, um, I forget what the term was in there, um, but it was, they were talking about, they want to give away. Climate justice, maybe climate justice, I think. Or climate, climate um, uh, environmental management, things like that. Yeah. So they get away from that terminology and, and the new generation grows up hearing this. And that's how we got wokeism. That's how we got all these other things that they're teaching that are going against traditional values. And when I played football there, my brother and I were up in a small school in Alabama. And I, I love this story because uh, Coach Wally Burnham was our offensive line coach and big guy. And, and we're sitting there and he had a big chew of tobacco. And he's like this. And he goes, he holds up a football. And he goes, boys, this is a football. <laughs> and I, I'm hitting my brother and I'm like, boy, these people must really be dumb up here because I knew that. <laughs> but what he was emphasizing is football or basics. Blocking, tackling, passing, and putting score uh, points on the on the board. When you get into where you start doing all these things to try to fix problems that are outside of your control, you gum it up and make it a mess. And all you have to do is look at a lot of the social programs that the Democrats put in place, and with some Republican supports that have led to the breakdown of the family, that uh, taken away personal responsibility from people, and let the government handle that. They're doing the same thing on this climate. And as you pointed out in that article, that whole movement has accounted for 5% of energy. And um, uh, when you look at the cost of, if we look at just the green energy for batteries and all that for the electric vehicles, it's not attainable. And so we need to go in a different direction. And I think that, I think that will come out in the next election. I think you'll see that. Well, it certainly hasn't come out here in Gainesville. They've just proudly rolled out this hapless soul who enthusiastically has endorsed her blessing uh, from the city fathers, who are, of course, the result of the 1947 UFO uh, arrival. <laughs> um, and they have managed to work into the food system. This is the other yeah. component of this, which you and I know about because we're in the agricultural world quite a bit. And, um, you know, the poor old cows catch it because they're cows and they obviously can't help but uh, expel gas. And, uh, you know, meanwhile, I got it. And you know this, manure is one of the richest sources. The butterflies nourish themselves out of it. Uh, we put it on gardens. I mean, it is a fantastic nutrition, is it not? And oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the World Economic Forum has gotten wanting us to start eating mealworms and uh, ground up uh, grasshoppers that get their nutrition from manure. So if we get rid of that, where are they going to grow those from? Um, well, but, but now we're into the goal uh, in this, I'm quoting from the article, which you sent me on, thank you, five dimensions of the food system success is equity, 
Uh, you know, I am so sick of that word, biodiversity. Here's the word probably you were looking for, climate adaptation. Yeah. Climate adaptation. Now, I'm going to report the weather at the bottom of the hour. How do you adapt for the icy condition on the interstates that lead to the travel nightmares? It, I tell you how you adapt. You stay off the road. or <laughs> Now, what happens those pileups that they're having, and you've got an EV car, electric vehicle, and your meter is down to about 5%, and it's sub-zero temperatures, and it shuts off. <laughs> what is going to happen to that? And we had the same thing here in Florida when uh, when the hurricanes came and the the, the evacuation routes were so uh, backed up that people couldn't move. And then the cars that got caught in the floods, you know, they became a a, a, a tinderbox. You know, they caught on fire, and uh, it, it it's just it wasn't well thought through, and they did not adapt to the challenge in a proper way. Well. I'm going to read through some more terms just to get you uh, ready for your game plan today. But, all right. Uh, but, uh, of course, oh, Uncle Joe has signed on all to this with an executive order. Oh, yeah. Wants, yeah, he wants to organize and deploy the full capacity of its agencies to combat the climate crisis. Combat. War language here. Uh, Biden's directive, for those who are listening and watching, declared that we face a climate crisis that threatens our people and communities, public health and economy, and starkly our ability to live on planet Earth. You know, this is, to me, one of the biggest sentimentalities of the human being. Um, Earth is going to do what it wants to do, notwithstanding our, uh, our existence on it. It has shown that for millions of years. Um, I used to see shirts, as you did, save the planet. What it really meant was save our niche on the planet is what they should have said, because that's what they're trying to do is protect and fly directly into the headwinds of something they can't control. And that is basically, I think the planet is controlled by the sun, the core temperature of the earth. Uh, if you really go to the science, um, has little to do with the fact other than the fact we probably have too many people and too few people actually producing the food. But we lost that war a long time ago. Oh, we sure did. And we're losing it here in America. Going back to the whales, it could be interference with their sonar, you know, uh, with the windmills and that. But you don't know what's going on with the military, with the things that are uh, below the surface, uh, military experience, uh, experiments. And we know for a fact that a lot of the seismic technologies they were doing or the explosion of bombs um, and the high-powered frequencies that they're using underwater we know for a fact that that did interfere with dolphins, pods of dolphins getting stranded and, and whales. And so that you don't know how much of that is going on. And that's just our government. What about China and Iran and North Korea and those kind of countries and Russia doing those kind of experiments? And the interesting thing, you look at that uh, Nord Stream pipeline that blew up, um, that you know all these conspiracy theories came out. And I don't know if they've ever come out with a conclusive reason of why that happened. But those kind of things can affect you know, the whale population and all those other mammals that operate on sonar. I read an article today, and I find that <laughs> it was interesting. You know, I was really interested in it because they have 99, 96.4% of the gene of the woolly mammoth. No, it's, it's the same as the African elephant. And so they're going to bring back the woolly mammoth 
there's a, a group out of Texas. They're going to bring it back. And the reason their reasoning is this is going to help mitigate climate change. Because no. Yeah, I mean, because they're going to put them back on the tundra, and the tundra will get back to the plants it used to have, uh, so that they can combat climate change. And I'm like, I believe they went extinct before there was a lot of people on the planet with a lot of, you know, the so-called CO2 that's just destroyed everything, or ozones, or freon, whatever, whatever flavor of the month they want to use for damaging the environment, and. I think this is all going to come around to where common sense will prevail. Let's do the best we can with the resources we have, and let's get better. Um, look at the gasoline engine from the 1960s and the muscle cars and the poor fuel economy we had then. Look at where we are today with technology. And, yes, there was some government pushing on there, um, but uh, it just wasn't the craziness we see today with these ESG mandates or the climate crisis. So we've got to intervene and we've got to make it. Uh, everybody is, has the same equity uh, due to the climate crisis. And of course, as you know, in that article, it says the climate crisis is worse for indigenous and minority people. Uh, you know, if it's bad, it's bad for everybody. You know, we can adapt to it and adjust. And I think that's what we should focus on. Well, Mr. Stockman also concludes that ironically, this transition to wind, solar, and electric cars is going to decrease our dependence on China. China's not going to ratchet down any of their pollution, and they've got the minerals. It's going to make us uh, weaker economically. Um, Furthermore, it's complicated by corporate weak-need behavior um, in investments. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about that, that corporations are doing things because the government is giving them subsidies to do things rather than on sound economic principles. And even the pressure that comes from the woke people for divesting of any corporations that are still, you know, involved with the fossil fuel and anti-climate transition, if you will. Right. Uh, you, you must have seen a lot of that in D.C. and be very frustrated by it. You know, it was starting to rear its head you know, towards the end of, you know, when the Democrats got in power in 2019, you started to see more and more that it was a crisis. They, they stood up the climate crisis committee. And, you know, if you t- tell enough people long enough that it's a crisis, kind of like uh, Goebbels under Hitler, you know, tell a lie long enough, big enough, people are going to believe it. And um, that's when I really started to see it. But along those lines, you're talking about how corporations have gotten involved in this I was listening to uh, the news this morning, and this group of these people are going after Deutsche Bank to say they're not doing enough for the ESG scores in their investments so that they're going to downgrade them. And it's uh, uh, a political ideology that is forcing uh, an institution like Deutsche, and they had their own internal problems, but it's forcing them to invest differently and they'll want them to invest in solar farms and wind uh, windmill farms and things like that that make no economic sense you know i'm all for green energy i mean if if you want to put solar panels on your your, your uh, house do that if you want to put a windmill and strap it to the top of your car as you're driving down to recharge <laughs> knock yourself out but you know the practicality of these things just don't weigh in and as you brought up, and that was a source of a lot of my meetings or the reason for a lot of my meetings, is the China factor. China is controlling all these uh, 
all these mines, they, they, I mean, everybody knows that they control pretty much the rare earth metals, the cobalt, the lithium, things like that, the rhodium. <clears throat> and um, it's interesting. Um, oh, shoot, I lost my train of thought. But it's, it's just, um, there was a, a great talk by Tom McClintock in the Natural, uh, um, uh, the Natural Resource Committee on Capitol Hill and Tom McClintock's a uh, Republican congressman out of California. And unfortunately, it's on TikTok, but it, and which is owned by, by the Communist Party. But it's a very, um, uh, just a very astute presentation of the electric vehicles that this administration is pushing forward in order to fulfill the mandate and, and the goal of people like Gavin Newsom. Um, we would need 360 new mines for lithium, copper, and other metals. And in order to do that, the pollution that would be created would be way beyond what an electric vehicle would um, would uh, displace, you know, when they're running. After they're produced and the pollution it creates to take uh, build those. And it just says it's, it's not attainable. You cannot reach this. And so your policies are hurting not just Americans, but people all over the world. And uh, it, it's lunacy is really what it is. You know, we need to look no further with Gavin Newsom in California than the water crisis. The water crisis. I mean, the reason, from what I've been reading and been watching for a number of years now, the environmentalists got a hold of this uh, water issue and wanted to save the salamander, I think it was. Uh, And and so they wanted the water to to be free-flowing. And, of course, the water free-flowing flowed right out to the Pacific Ocean. And all of a sudden, California doesn't have any water. And so they're going to try to make war. Really, it's a water war with Colorado and these places where the water originates from. And I tell you what, it's um, it's a nasty situation, is it not? I mean, you ever run across that in your meetings there? We don't have anything to do with California's lunacy, I'm sure. But it is a battleground and it's not going to be easy to resolve it. Here is a litmus test for the folly of the environmental positions, I think. <laughs> no, it's uh, ideological uh, war. And like you said, it's lunacy. Um, The California reservoirs were built to trap rainwater when they got it because it was infrequent. So they 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 built these reservoirs to where they could capture this water and divert it. And that's why they set it up the way they did. But yet, with all the rain that California has, they wanted Newsom to divert this water. He said he wouldn't because of the the salamander, uh, newt, or whatever uh, uh, supposedly endangered. Creature is out there, um, and so their their situation in California with lack of water is created by their own design, their their own ignorance. I would say, in the name of this global climate crisis, um, and you know, you when you, you have people like that that are pushing this, and it's and we feel and we know it's the wrong way to go. Um, it's a dangerous situation, especially when they're in power, and. Unfortunately, up here in D.C., you know, if you're a person that talks against the climate and the crisis, it's, you know, you're an out, outsider. And, really? Really? Yeah. It's in all the meetings and all the hearing. and Really? Uh, yeah, it's amazing how much it is. And then when you get into the agencies uh, like USDA or USAID or, you know, the State Department, with this administration, their whole focus is on the climate crisis 
and it, it goes over to, you know, Africa and all these countries that we have a footprint in, as does China, as does these other countries, to do um, maybe infrastructure development. There's got to be a big um, uh, faction of that money that goes into climate, mitigating climate crisis, you know, windmills, things like that. And it's just, again, it's lunacy. And it goes back to the, the football story I told you. When you go to these countries and we're trying to do development, sustainable development, to where meaning that we can get out of it and they move, we move from aid to trade, um, it goes back to the very basics. Electricity, maybe potable water, maybe some sewer, you know, some sanitation, things like that. I don't need to have solar farms on there. Now, if it makes sense for that region, absolutely. But, you know, that shouldn't be the only thing they focus on. But it's not just there. If you go to the UN and you go to the World Economic Forum, that's all coming out of there, too, so that when they go into these countries, that whole mission is the same. And that's a scary thing. And uh, I don't know how closely you follow the World Economic Forum, led by the elites like uh, Klaus Schwab out of Germany, uh, Jamie Dimon, uh, Larry Fink out of BlackRock. They they put out their, their story that by 2030, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Yeah, it's called the World Economic Forum. And they say yeah. uh, in its latest chapter of its crisis management plan in its 2023 Global Risk Report. Um, That's what every- risk is the terminology. Yeah, everything's a crisis. Uh, everything's a catastrophe. Uh, everything's a, a cost energy supply crisis, cost of living crisis, food supply crisis, and the ultimate term that underscores all this is the climate change is the apex threat. And the um, UN Secretary General is all behind this, declaring that the production of fossil fuels is inconsistent with human survival. Survival. Um, all right, that's Antonio Gutierrez. He's a right. UN. All right, that guy is a leftist out of a South American country. I forget which country it was. But he's a leftist. He doesn't like America. He doesn't like capitalism. He wants, you know, uh, Marxist-type control where you can control society. And that's what the World Economic Forum and the UN is tied in with that. And the guy they have uh, conducting uh, or leading the agricultural work through the UN that are promoting all these things with less fertilizer and all that, it's a Chinese Communist Party member that's leading that. And... uh, you know, I believe in strong nationalism. And if you bring that word up here, and I had a discussion with somebody last night, a couple of people, they said, well, we can't be isolationists. I said, I'm not talking about isolationists. I'm talking about protectionism. I believe in nationalism. And I don't believe we should be meddling in all these countries. But I said, if we start putting ourselves first, like Trump said, and make America great again, you know, if you have that me first policy, you can only achieve that if you treat other people um, with, with um, you know, we're going to look out for each other, basically. Not that we're going to make ourselves better and crush you. So throughout society up here, and as you just read, Antonio Gutierrez, a leftist-leaning person that we pay 25% of the budget over there, and they're working against us. I think we need a, an adjustment in that. You I, know, I'm, I'm still, I, huh? I'm sorry? I have a plan for that adjustment. <clears throat> well, we'll hear about that in a little bit. I hope I'm still stunned by 
uh, I don't know what, how little courage and leadership there is in the world. Um, you know, people afraid to, I always harken back to the story. You may remember that I first got in trouble when I asked the guest speaker why they used the word enriched on white bread if they took all the good stuff out. And I did that in kindergarten. Um, and I got chewed out for that in kindergarten. So I, I suppose what I was being taught, didn't know it, was uh, don't rock a boat, uh, go along to get along, um, you know, believe what authority says, don't question authority. Um, I, you know, it was everything against my character, I guess. And so I stayed in trouble. I mean, I really did. I stayed in trouble. Uh, the only friends I had in school I got along with were also troublemakers, but they were the brightest guys, uh, uh, Ted. They were the, com- the comedians of the school, the wittiest guys. They were the free thinkers. Uh, they were free thinkers. They were, their brains were always, I loved them. You know, it was a little handful of us. And, and uh, you know, later when I started earnestly reading and studying, uh, I learned from Shakespeare that uh, wit is the highest form of intelligence. And your comedians are really a good example of that. These comedians are, are quick. You know, they, 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 know, they know, see through things very quickly. And they're generally only welcome as comedians. They, they can't fit in anywhere else. Uh, I used to be a fan of Jonathan Winters, and I swear I didn't know whether Jonathan Winters was with it or not with it, but he was hilarious. And <laughs> Even George yeah. Carlin. I mean, if you listen to some of his stuff, as, as raunchy as he can be and uh, crass, um, his, his message that came out of there just, you know, it's kind of common sense, made sense. Oh, there's so many funny things to be said, but anyway... I'm surprised that we don't have somebody in D.C. And you can see, based upon what you're relating to us, you can see why um, Trump is no is persona non grata. Because yeah. if you come up there and, you know, rattle the very foundations on which the place is built, and that is to get into the um, committee level where you can't get rid of the staff, I mean, the staffers to the committees. When we come back in the break, I want to pick your brain on the on the on what you see going on with the committees up there and all that. You know, but, yeah. Uh, Discussions on that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we talk about that. So uh, we're talking with Ted Yoho, um, who is the only good representative I've ever known who turned <laughs> in himself and, and and yet can't stay away from the place he left. So God bless him. Here we are. And we got, we're fortunate enough to have him on Wednesday. So we appreciate everything that uh, you contribute to our conversations, Ted. Uh, we're going to take a break for the weather which uh, we do not control, by the way. <laughs> I have no, I have no uh, a secret. I do do, Ted, you may know this, I do do the naked rain dance. And um, <laughs> every time I do the naked rain dance, it does rain. Uh, so then I catch grief for how much it rains. And Is then I'm asked wife, to stop. that your wife hosing you down? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> then, then I'm asked to stop the rain. And I tell them, unfortunately, I can start the rain, but I can't stop it. I don't have a naked <laughs> rain dance to stop it. we'll be right back on the Ward scott files stay tuned although the owner of lewis oil company maintains she is 29 lewis oil turns 60 years old in june chevron would like to recognize the north florida second generation family-owned business celebrating its growth and staying power lewis oil company maintains significant on-hand supplies strategically located fuel depots a delivery fleet on-site service fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. 
This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On-the-Spot Dry Cleaners, R&R Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com, and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Wardscott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! All bees poop. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, welcome back to Ward Scott Files. We are joined today, of course, on Wednesdays with our good friend, uh, Ted Yoho. Now I'm going to do a little weather for you. Compliments of Lewis Oil, great supporter of ours. Uh, Wendell Lewis, who swears she's only 29, and I'm all for anybody who wants to stay at age 29. Hope I'm not telling the story on my good friend. Now, the weather. Ted and I have been talking about the weather and the frustration with all this policy that is in vogue in D.C., but the weather, I, I'm sorry to tell you, uh, we can't control. Uh, according to the Associated Press, the weather recently has canceled over 1,700 flights. Get a hold of that if you can. Get your head around that. Um, on the slick roads in Texas, um, everybody is sliding all over the place as an ice storm advanced eastward on Tuesday. Uh, it's working its way all the way to West Virginia plantation mark country, perhaps, our good friend and uh, supporter of the show. Uh, Governor Greg Abbott there urged people to stay off the roads. But, you know, people can get stuck on these roads and can't get on or off. And God forbid you get stuck in an electric car because you don't have anybody to bring you electricity Whereas if you got ran out of gas, I assume somebody may have a can in his trunk. So there's all sorts of things that are complicating everyone's lives today in the name of doing the right thing. Um, we've had pre-dawn pileups. We've had uh, these flights canceled. Um, we've had 7,000 power outages in Texas. Um, that's just the beginning. And uh, we've got icy conditions that are leading to fatal crash and travel nightmares all over the place as this dangerous ice storm is persisting across the middle of the country and uh, working its way eastward. So if you can stay away from that part of the country, do so. If you're going to fly, you'll probably be forced to stay away to conditions no one is able to control in spite of windmills and solar panels and all the above. 
So we're talking with Ted Yoho now. We've been talking about these things and how much money, your money, somebody's money, printed money is being dumped into these um, efforts, if you will, in the name probably of the United Nations uh, globalization of energy and all its concerns for such things as uh, eating and food distribution and all the above. Meanwhile, people have got to pay their electric bills. Uh, the city of Gainesville has just been downgraded again in its credit rating. Uh, people are complaining constantly about the energy from GRU. GRU can't even read its meters properly. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just really a serious kind of disconnect. So we've been discussing that. Now we want to discuss and change gears a little bit, but not really, since Ted is broadcasting to us from D.C., what I like to call the belly of the beast. <laughs> we're going to talk about committees because we know now that we're holding on to a very slim lead. Uh, and we have a character that's just taking himself off of one of these committees who has uh, a dubious qualifications. But we absolutely got to have these everybody all hands on deck. So we're going to talk about um, what's going on there, Ted, with this um, new Republican control, slim as it may be, of, of the House. Um, what we're seeing <clears throat> is they're standing up all these committees that create, created some new committees, and it's a, it's a mixed bag. It's it's good and bad. If these committees do the things like on the January sixth committee, they're going to investigate the committee that investigated, you know, the January sixth. Um, they want to call it the insurrection, but I think it was just the voice of the half of half of this country saying that this was not a uh, <clears throat> what I would call a fair election or properly run election. And so um, these committees that are being stood up, the new ones, they're going to have people from the majority that will go into that. So that'll probably run the way they want to see it run. The Democrats are going to say it was slanted, it was biased. But if you go to the big committees like this, this year, the USDA, um, the farm bill that's in Congress is, has got to be passed by September. And so the committee staffs that are there have been there for a long, long time, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And the thing that we came out yesterday with several people we met with, whether it was on intelligence, um, uh, the Ag Committee, uh, uh, Ways and Means, any of these committees, that staff structure has been there for a very, very long time. And so the new members come in. They, and to be honest, they don't know a lot about the, the process. They, they have some ideals that got them elected and the, the messaging but they don't understand the process, so they have to default to the guidance of the staff members. And if those staff members have bought into the ESG and all this other stuff, that's what the bill will be leading to. And there was talk that, you know, these people need to be uh, term limited. Uh, and I'm hearing this from, you know, members in Congress that are on these committees. And they said, you know, that there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge there, but they also have an ideological slant. And that is to go along with what's going on in this nation. You know, the wokeism, the, the, the environmental crisis, things like that. And so that carries into the legislation. And I saw this firsthand on the uh, Ag Committee. We went to what we call a conference, uh, conference meeting. Um, <clears throat> and I got to be on that, that committee. And this is where you really hash things out. I got to be there for one meeting. It was a three-minute time where I got to speak. 
And then after that, I thought we'd get together with the members of the Senate and the House, and we would go through this and hash these things out. Next thing I know, uh, I come back after the summer recess, never got invited to a meeting, and they've already written the language for the farm bill. And I said, well, who did that? And they said, well, the committee did. And I said, I, I, I challenged my chairman. I said, well, I thought we were going to hash this out with members of the Senate not in the House. <clears throat> and he goes, Ted, you really think you can get 60 members of Congress and then the Senate to come together on a consensus? He goes, there's no way that's going to happen. This is all done by committee. And here's your bill. And um, it, it's really, those are the ones that have the power. Those are the ones that the members up there on the Republican side realize they have to change that structure. And I hope they can go through with it and do it. <clears throat> what do you think their chances are of doing that? I mean, realistically, you're there. You've seen futility and frustration. Is this going to be, in the worst case scenario, I'll just be one more example of that. Is there any thing that might be slightly different? Of course, if the people put the pressure on it, they do respond to people pressure, do they not? Yeah, they do. But, you know, keep in mind for, <clears throat> excuse me, for a, a congressman, a House representative, they're there for two years. And the committees know that. And <clears throat> they know, well, this guy may not be here in two years. You know, so they know there's a high turnover rate. So they're not going to change the direction of their ship unless you have a very outspoken member of Congress, um, which I was on some committees, I was very outspoken. And, um, you know, they knew I term limited myself. So you can't really change that underlying um, that underlying uh, mindset. And, you know, as as our republic has progressed from the founding, it has become more liberal. And a large part of that is the committee structure and that they have too much power. And then you have the administrative states for these agencies like the EPA, Department of Labor. They uh, have been given power because of the, um, because Congress has given it to them. And uh, there's talk about bringing, uh, stripping them of this power. Good example is Fauci uh, with the uh, NIH uh, and Francis Collins, you know, Fauci in charge of what he did and for how long he was there. Those positions should be re-looked at every new administration. And that person should have to qualify and they should have to look at what he's done. Is what he's done good? Does he does it his work in the past four years justify what he's done that he can continue, if not put a new person in there? And uh, it would align with that administration. The bad side of that is what we see in the the, the 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 new bill I created that created the Development Finance Corporation. Every new administration, they put a new person at the head of that. So it doesn't have the continuity from one Congress to the next. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword. But I think if you put a person in there that had to be vetted every every uh, new administration, whether it was a four-year period of time or an eight-year period of time, I think that would bring continuity um, to make sure they're following what's best for America, not what's best for a political ideology. Uh, let's talk a bit about Omar here. Do you think they'll get rid of her on that uh, and shift? There are two um, people who really shouldn't be on those committees. What's your take on that up here in Ground Zero? I think Adam Schiff will go. Uh, I, I think Omar, you're hearing too many Republicans saying they're going to support her. They're not going to vote against her. Why? Uh, Why? Um, they just think what, what she did wasn't that bad. Uh, and of course, she's blaming it on ignorance. She didn't know 
the things she said were uh, uh, anti-Semitic, and uh, and you know she's known for a long time it was, but now she's saying, you know, ignorance is no excuse for doing the wrong thing, uh, and uh, I, I think what you'll see is, again, keep in mind what politicians do. They worry about their next election. And there's some of these people that uh, Biden won by 11, 11 points, and they're Republicans. And so if they go against a Democrat, you know, the Democrats are going to claim uh, racism, xenophobia. Uh, she's a woman, so it's going to be um, sexist. They're going after her because she's a woman. And it's all that garbage. You know, instead of going that person, I've been on committees with foreign affairs. And when she talks about Al Qaeda, she just beams. Like she, that's, that's like her all-star football team, you know, and that's somebody that, you know, with their ideology belief, their political or their religious beliefs, uh, Sharia law, it's not compatible with U.S. constitutional law. They're just not compatible. And for her to be on the foreign affairs committee, previous, you know, briefings and stuff like that, um, I think it would be prudent for us to remove her. But you don't think it'll get done? I don't think it'll get done. Of course. What about Schiff? Schiff is just as evil as it can be. He's a card carrying liar, but he knows it. Yeah. Uh, what's the story with him? He's running for Simmons, uh, California, uh, to replace Feinstein, who doesn't know she hasn't announced not to run. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, there is not a lot of uh, love loss for Adam Schiff up here, or Elon Omar either. But shift, I think a lot of people just see that he needs to move. Um, he needs to get out of that position. Yeah, he's uh, California might put him back though in a more dangerous position. Yeah, and then uh, you imagine uh, Gavin Newsom getting elected president, putting Adam Schiff in charge. I can't. I know. No, don't go there. I have a nightmare enough. Well, think of think of uh, Merrick Garland. You know, the Attorney General. Look at the the. The terrible things he's done since he's become the attorney general. And I thank goodness that Mitch McConnell blocked his nomination from ever coming up. Can you imagine him being a Supreme Court justice <clears throat> with his, his anti-American stances going against the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, parents speaking out about what their children are being taught, and he's claiming they're terrorists and domestic uh, um, uh, terrorists. Um, people like that don't need to be in government. Uh, I think it's a very scary thing. So let's hope Adam Schiff doesn't get elected, that the people, the good people of California have enough common sense not to put somebody like that in there that's so polarized that is, as you said, he's such a liar, um, uh, an outright liar. I mean, it's been proven over and over again. He's never been held accountable. And the way the people of California can hold him accountable is don't reelect them. Well, that's not a happy narrative, I, I'm, I'm, <clears throat> but I know it's a true one. Um, that, that, that UFO that landed in Gainesville may have landed out there in mass. <laughs> yeah, the, the, let's put it this way. There, obviously, there must have been UFO landings or we wouldn't have this problem. <laughs> There's no other explanation. It's such an anomaly that of, of, of common sense, you know, that it, it has to have an explanation. So... Um, uh, Freedom Caucus, you know, has it been effective? Yeah. You know, it's funny because I went around, we talked to probably 15 members of Congress and Republicans and Democrats. And 
you know, of course, I, I was a member then, and we talk about that. And they said, yeah, I know you were. He goes, and I, I had rank-and-file members say, you know what, the Freedom Caucus, I think, are the ones that really won in this because they got a lot of the concessions they were pushing for, and we liked the concessions they got. And um, there was a lot of respect for that movement and the fact that they're willing to stand up and not take no. Um, they did you know, they uh, compromise at the end, which, you know, everybody wants people to compromise and get along, but they took a little longer to get to that point. But I think uh, the, the things they had changed in the rules package are uh, are good things. One of the interesting things, I was talking to a new member, and uh, he goes, he, I, he knew I, I had term limited myself and, and stood up to that. He goes, you know, I believe in term limits too. I've signed that term limit bill and um, if it if it should happen to come up for a vote, I would support it. But he's not going to push it to come up for a vote. <laughs> but that was, happens, huh? that was one of the concessions that McCarthy said they would allow that to come up. And I, I've been down this road so many times. They'll eventually let that bill come up. And if it passes in the House, well, he knows Schumer's not going to do anything with it. But when we had the majority... John Boehner and McCarthy, too, if a bill passed in the House, they're over at the Senate saying, don't bring that bill up. We don't want that bill to pass. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just that. I mean, that's just common knowledge. Uh, Boehner was great at it because we had the majority in the House and we had the Senate. He would go right over to McConnell and say, don't let that bill come up. And, uh, so you've got all your members that have worked for months rallying, getting people to sign on, was talking to Democrats, Republicans. And they get this bill with a, like 170, 180, 200 co-sponsors, and it passes overwhelmingly in the House. And your leadership reluctantly brings it up, but you don't know it was reluctant. But as soon as it goes over there, he's working to make sure it doesn't get passed. I mean, that's – and you got to wonder, who is he listening to? His constituency is the member of his party. But I think their constituency that they listen to is the ones on K Street the lobbyists and the big corporations. Whoever gets they get the money from. Huh? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whomever they get the money from. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's why I don't like to see members raising a lot of money because to raise money, they're taking time out of doing work for their district. Um, they're asking people for money. And you and I, you know where we, we live. And there's people that would donate. Um, and I know how hard it is for them to get money. Um, and I don't think they should be spending their time raising all this money to elect members of their own party. And you saw the debacle they went through. They're supposed to have a massive red wave, and they've raised all this money in the name of, well, we're going to have a super majority. And they came up dismally. They failed dismally. I'm, I'm glad they have a majority, but it's such a weak majority. Um, and I think they focus on the wrong things. It's how much money can I raise? And, they give to the alms of the NRCC, the National Republican Congressional Committee. Um, and let's just hope that these people that are in there now can focus on the things that are really serious problems for this nation. Let's switch over since we're talking about money to um, the can that gets kicked down the road all the time. And that's the debt ceiling. Sure. I'm hearing the same talks from the politicians up here and the news media that I heard when I was up here that if we don't raise the debt ceiling, it's going to threaten, uh, threaten the default of our currency. And 
not raising the debt ceiling does not trigger a default. A default is when you don't pay your bills. And so as I asked John Boehner, because he had the same argument uh, 10 years ago, and he says, we've got to raise the debt ceiling. I said, why? He goes, we got to pay our bills. I said, tell me a bill that's not getting paid. He couldn't tell me. And so we're going to pay our bills. But that whole narrative, you're going to have the media going after anybody that says they're going to vote against us. You're going to have members of your own party because they, they don't want to, and we went through this, the government shut down, people didn't get paid a paycheck or two, probably just one, you know, because they're on a two-week pay cycle. Um, but everybody was made whole immediately. So there wasn't anybody that was not going to get paid, but it was a wake-up call to people in government that we have got to change course. And you and I have talked about this. When I went in there, we were $13.5 trillion in debt. We're over $32 trillion in debt, paying interest on that debt. And it'll probably go up another half a point today or this week uh, when Jerome Powell raises it at the Fed. Uh, so it's something that has to be dealt with. And as I've said before, you either deal with your debt in a proactive way or your debt will deal with you in an austerity measure. And we're seeing that already. Look at the, um, look at the immigrants that were shipped to New York that were put up in a hotel temporarily while they made uh, a migrant staging area and move them into, they're protesting. They're saying, we're not moving. We're not giving this up. <laughs> they're not even citizens. So now to take a citizen that has paid into our social security or whatever system, or they're receiving food stamps or housing assistance, and you start cutting that, there's going to be mayhem and there's going to be chaos that we've never seen before because there's so many de- so many people in America today, <clears throat> it's right at 50% that are getting subsidy of some form from government. And we've seen this in Greece. We've seen it in Australia, uh, Argentina. We've seen it in countries all over the world where the government had pair back some of their subsidy. <clears throat> uh, and so uh, these are the things that have to be addressed or that's going to be the crisis and then you're going to get terrible crisis management, like the pandemic. You know, lockdowns. Everybody wears masks. You know, they're gonna they're gonna do these things. Uh, it's a scary situation we're in, and that's what really Congress should be focusing on. Yeah, I want to see Hunter Biden held accountable. I want to see Joe Biden held accountable with his connections with China and Burisma and all these other things that we know he's done. But is that the most important? If your house is on fire or the Titanic is sinking, you've heard the analogy. Do we want to straighten out the, the, the deck chairs or do we want to plug the hole? And it's time to plug the hole. Well, it's um, certainly got enough uh, smoke around it. It's hard for the public to understand it, except yeah. to feel the pain at the pump. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about the pain at the pump. It turns yeah. out that Exxon's made more money than they've made in recent memory, while the pain at the pump has been felt by the consumer. Uh, can you explain that to us? Sure. It's just the way... That industry works, you know, it's supply and demand. <clears throat> the money they're making now was based on investments they made 10, 15 years ago. And so they've got the oil rigs and all that going in there. They don't get the subsidies that everybody says, well, the, these um, oil companies are getting subsidies. They really don't get subsidies. They get tax credits for investments. And then they get a small uh, tax credit for uh, wells that have gone inactive you know, because of the investment that was put in there. 
but they're not getting for every gallon of gas, they're not getting 10 cents or something like that. They, they get the profit. It's a supply and demand thing. And so when you have low supply created by not Putin, but by Joe Biden, by canceling the Keystone Pipeline, by pulling these uh, drilling permits, and they'll tell you, and they'll lie to you and say, well, we didn't stop the drilling permits. They pulled the drilling permits and they've allowed permits to be bought. But a guy that buys a permit today, it'll be five, 10 years before they can start drilling because of the permitting process is so gummed up that they can't do it. So the supply problem you have today, twofold, Biden's policies of the war on fossil fuels that he said he was going to do, and then the sell-off of the strategic oil reserve that artificially kept the prices down now that they're at a very low level of the strategic uh, oil reserves. They can't keep pumping oil out of the reserves, and those reserves are there for national security interests. And, uh, you know, we're in a terrible situation there. And so these prices we're seeing today, they've gone up, what, 40 or 50, 50 cents in the last month, and they're going to continue to go up. Um, and it's not Putin's fault. It's, it's Joe Biden and the Democratic policies' fault, and the people that voted for that. So if you want to be bad at it, if people want to be upset about that, look at our electric bills. They said in a lot of the Northeast uh, states, electric, electricity has gone up 62 63%. And again, it's because of the, this administration's uh, war on fossil fuels, period. They well, I tell you what, here the, here the price of the pump's not even finished going up. It's not going to be music to very many people's ears. No, uh, they said it's going to go to $4 before you know it, a gallon. Uh, Plantation Mark is reporting where, where he is. It's gone up 46 cents in the last month. Yeah, um, exactly. That 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 goes all through the that goes and the, and the diesel and you know the farmers run diesel so um, it, I, it, it's crazy it, it's really crazy. Well, we're getting a lot of comments. Great show today. I think you're really on your game today, Ted. Maybe you ought to oh. hang around DC a little bit more and uh, it gets you fired up and you start you start going after things. So uh, you got to bite your lip a lot of times. You got to bite your lip a lot of times. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, thanks for checking in. As always, look forward to seeing you in a week, I hope. And uh, uh, Lord willing, the creek don't rise and have a great day today. And don't get, uh, I, I'd be tempted to, you know, have a uh, arm wrestling match with somebody up there for long if I were in that place. So <laughs> well, it's fun because they can't do anything to me. I mean, they can maybe block me from getting on the Capitol, but. You know, if that happens, that happens. Uh, <laughs> happen, I, I've been, my, I've been, I've been, uh, I've been very nice. I've been <laughs> great talking to you, and we're going to uh, check out now, fans Take and care. listeners, and uh, have a great day, uh, Ted, and you too, my good friends of the Ward Scott Files. Have Absolutely. a great day. Ward Command Center out. Goodbye. Bye.